Good evening, my fellow Americans. Take the red pill. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. The disastrous rise of misplaced power exists. All we have built, all we have worked for, would be destroyed. There is nothing the political establishment will not do. And this nation will not be fully free until all its citizens are free. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action. These criminals cannot be rewarded so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. They're coming after you and I'm just standing in their way. Here I am. You and I have a rendezvous with death. The cost of freedom is always high. Those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Our movement is about replacing a failed and corrupt political establishment well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the Founding Fathers. This is a crusade! This is a holy war against the deep state! We never wanted to be right, but yet things are all adding up to the firestorm. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth. It was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bello Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world 
is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Josh. Welcome to the Red Pill Project's Daily Dose, live with you Monday through Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Uh, my guest tonight, Brad Miller. I thought it started off right with that Reagan speech. Brad, how did you like that? Hey, I loved it. I, th- I thought it was great. It's um, and, and some of that, I mean, you know, when you think about some of the stuff that he calls to attention, I mean, it is, it is incredible when he mentions, you know, some of these just historic places that uh american patriots have fought over the last century you know he mentions you know bellawood the argonne you know guadalcanal i mean it's just i mean it's just incredible you know there are a lot of historical linkages that have gotten us to where we are now right 100 absolutely and it's um it's been time tested and you know this country was founded on the hearts and the minds of people wanting to be free it was fought by fighting against tyranny and oppression. It was fought against an overseas dictator who wanted to impose his will onto Americans and restrict their freedoms of which they had built together. And uh, it seems like we're at that same fate once again. It's, you know, it is wild. And um, it's it's crazy to think of all that America's been through, to think about the... Um, the fighting spirit that we consider to be kind of uniquely American, you know, the the culture that we have that has been cultivated over two and a half centuries. And then we kind of look to where we are. And it's I mean, it's almost incredible. We have to ask ourselves, you know, how, how did we get from there to here where we are now? And that's a show in its own. And uh, I've, I've covered it, too. Uh, for those that don't know, Brad here is a former lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, American constitutionalist. And uh, he is one of the people who have been involved in this military accountability. If you can find that at militaryaccountability.com. I wanted to go ahead and pull this up for everybody to see. Um, if, if you didn't know, over 237 members of the military came together and they signed this petition ta- calling for military accountability. And I think that this is one of the best things that I've seen actually happen so far this year, because this is something that a lot of us have been talking about. A lot of us have wanted to see people get together and do exactly these things for for everybody that knows. I, I, I love the Constitution. I love the founding fathers. I love talking about these different things. Uh, James Madison and Federalist 46 talked about the four ways to curve a tyrannical and oppressive government. The first two are disquietude of the people and civil disobedience. This letter right here is, is a representation of exactly that. This is a, a, a call to the American people, to the American veterans, to the American military saying, hey, well, we need some accountability here, people. That th- This is not right what is happening, and we're watching our country be directly invaded at the border and from every other angle we're watching corruption unfold at all different degrees 
this people need to be held accountable for this. There's no more slaps on the wrist. There's no more. Oh my God, it's public. This person's exposed and they go on vacation with Gavin Newsom out in California. We need to start holding these people responsible for this. And it starts there with our military because that is the first and the last line of defense for a lot of what's going on in our country right now. Uh, Brad, I want to give you a moment to go ahead and tell a little bit of your story. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, thanks. I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, so I graduated from West Point, you know, the military academy in 2003. I entered the army. I spent some time stationed at Fort Drum, New York on uh, on two occasions, actually. Um, I was stationed at uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. You know, they've, they've changed the names now. But anyway, Fort Benning, Georgia, I was stationed there for about five years. Uh, I spent a year in Honduras. I spent three years stationed in Korea and then ended up my career at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. You know, I went to Afghanistan, you know, a couple of times. Um so, you know, did a lot, was, was all over the place, did, did quite a lot, had a, a pretty um, unique career in some of the assignments that I had, some of the, the unique opportunities that I had. I got to be a battalion commander, even though it was only for about four months, as opposed to the typical two years, because I was relieved of command for failure to go along with the, uh, the unlawful COVID shot mandate. Um, after that happened, and after I was pulled out of command, a couple of months later, once I realized that you know, hey, the military was not going to walk this back. They were they were going to continue to trudge forward with what I knew by then was clearly unlawful. And so I said, you know what? I, I, I love the Army. I love the military. I know what it stands for. But unfortunately, those at the top of this organization don't know what it stands for. And I can't work underneath them. So it was a weird situation. I felt like I was getting pulled in two different directions. And I, and I felt like I'd been backed into a corner to where if I was actually going to serve the country and make good on my oath to the constitution, I was going to have to do that by taking the uniform off. So I did, uh, I still consider myself to be serving the country. And to some degree with the way things are right now, uh, I actually feel like I'm serving the country more than if I were still in uniform and therefore under the charge of many of the people that we just recently put on notice with this declaration of military accountability. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for your, my, for your service, brother. It, it's much appreciated. It's not for everybody. And, and I'm glad that uh, you were one of the people out there that go ahead and take that oath. And, uh, you know, in a time like this, we need you more than ever on this sideline. And I'm, I'm glad to have you on this side because uh, we were just talking about it before the show is this is uh, buckle up buttercup time. This is 2024. Trump said a few months ago, uh, 2024 is the final battle. I mean, this is the make or break it year. Um, we're, we're heading into an election cycle. We're heading into a primary season. And a lot is riding on this. We know what happened in 2020 with the last presidential cycle. Um, rumors coming out in the mainstream of Trump assassination. I've been pointing mm -hmm. this out. Uh, many people don't, out there don't know my audience. I've said this multiple times, is that the first New York City indictment against Trump happened on the 55th anniversary of uh, the anniversary, or sorry, on the anniversary of Ronald Reagan's assassination attempt. The arraignment happened on the 55th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Mm. Then the first Jack Smith indictment came on the anniversary of um, of another assassination. It's not Archduke Ferdinand. It's it's one of them that I, oh, oh uh, King Henry III. King okay. Henry III's assassination. So to me, that's symbolic of they're sending a message to Trump. Back down. Step aside, man. 
And, and he's just not going to do it. He's going to keep on moving forward. He's going to keep on pushing forward. And as we move closer and closer to November, Ray Dalio, the chairman of uh, Bridgewater Capital, sits on the board of directors at the World Economic Forum. He's also a good friend with Larry Fink over there at BlackRock. He wrote a book called The New World Order two years ago. In doing an interview for this, he was asked what his, predict- his predictions were for the 2024 election. And he says that any angle that you look at it, if the Republicans win, the Democrats are going to disagree with the, the results. If the Democrats win, the Republicans are going to disagree with the results. And he goes, therefore, the only prediction to make for 2024 is all-out civil war. Now, I believe that that is a, a, a predictive narrative that they're trying to implement. We have this new movie coming out in March sure. that they want to get this within the mindset of the people. Um, and, you know, I, I know Americans they don't want that. They don't, they don't want to go down that route. Uh, but many would go down that route and it, yeah. it wouldn't look like, I think people think how it would look, but this is why you guys are doing what you're doing is we're, we're, we're trying to avoid all of this. We're, we're trying to get the right people in the right places. We're trying to hold people accountable as all this stuff is coming out to avoid the destruction of the United States, the collapse of the United States, or at least the the massive division of the United States. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the military accountability. How did this come about? What, what were the discussions like and kind of how did it lead to this letter? Yeah, so, um, so a good buddy of mine, but also somebody that I really look up to, his name is Rob Green. He's a naval officer. He's a commander in the Navy. He is still actively serving. So Rob Green wrote a book that came out on July 4th of 2023, it's called Defending the Constitution Behind Enemy Lines. It's a fantastic book. If people out there that are listening or watching, if they haven't heard of it, go look it up. And it kind of tells the story of the uh, the service member and the plight that the service member endured under the unlawful you know, COVID shot mandate, right? Well, Rob Green, who wrote that book and put his name on it very courageously while still serving active duty. You know, a couple of months pass. We get closer to the end of this past year. And he comes up with the idea that, you know what, we, we need to write a letter to the, to the American people, an open letter to the American people. So he puts some words on paper, and those words are, I would say, um, they are grounded in the history of the founding period of our nation, particularly the Declaration of Independence, and also Rob, you know, being very much a man of faith as well, right? So he presents some language to... Uh, a very small group of us, myself being one of those. So we look at this and we're like, hey, this is a fantastic idea. So we all kind of work to take Rob's initial draft. We massage it a little bit. We condense it into one page. But largely this was Rob's idea. And then we say, okay, what's the rollout plan? And we decide that it's got to be January 1st. I mean, 2024 is the year. We just said, hey, listen, we're going to hit the ground running on 2024. So then it was decided that I would be the one to kind of launch the initial salvo. So I did so in two ways. One, at 4 a.m. DC time, I sent a letter to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. When I say a letter, I mean an email. But in the email, I had this document, the Declaration of Military Accountability, attached to the email. I sent it to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and 17 other senior military officials from the Pentagon. And I told them, you know, you've been breaking the law, you know, full violation of your of the Constitution, et cetera. Uh, This is a pledge from us, the 231 signatories to the American people. We are informing you that this document's about to hit the streets, if you will. Uh, I sent that email at exactly 4 a.m. DC time, January 1st. 
seven minutes later, I had I had a post on X that I put out detailing that I had just sent this email and I and I screenshot the body of the declaration in the post. I put that out at 4.07 a.m. DC time on January 1st. And that thing's already been seen 4 million times, that post. Yeah. So right after that, later, kind of later in the morning, we sent it to various, you know, news outlets and you know, this post on X was just going wild. I mean, it just caught so much traction that, I mean, um, you know, for us, 2024 has already been a crazy year and, you know, we're barely a weekend. Yeah. 2024 has been, uh, yeah, we're, we're nine days into 2024. Yeah. We've had, um, uh, a national security threat with a secretary of defense. We'll talk about that in a second. We've had, uh, a, a psychological warfare operation happening through social media pertaining to the mall in Miami. We've had an active shooter who then again was on discord with the FBI. Uh, we have uh, Ecuador on the verge of collapse. We have China incursion on Taiwan. We have uh, Kiev getting absolutely bombarded by Russia. Uh, we have France's uh, prime minister leaving. We have Poland in, in crisis. It, it's, it's starting off right. I think it's starting off right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let me just say real quick, you already brought it up. So, um, so you brought it up at the very beginning. So military accountability, the, the link you brought it up earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, I would encourage anybody who's listening or watching, go to militaryaccountability.com. When you go there, you can see the declaration. You can see the names of the 231 people who courageously signed it. But then also you can see the petition. So there's a petition at the top of the document right there. It says American petition. Yep. That petition is associated with the, de the declaration directly. And anybody can sign that petition. And I mean anybody. You do not have to be affiliated with the military in any way, shape, or form. Anybody can sign that petition. I would encourage those out there that are listening right now. Please go sign that petition. Let everyone know that you stand by those who believe that the military should get back in line with the Constitution, the law, and its own regulations, which is not what those in the Pentagon believe. Right. And, and let me ask you this, because I got out in 2010, right? So I've been out of service for, for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, you were in up until just a few years ago. What has been the sentiment in the sense of the – uh, the upper brass as per um, where you were at, and then even kind of the, the, the enlisted ranks, w what, what is going through the minds of people, especially with what happened to Trump and what was going on afterwards? Yeah. So it's going to run the full spectrum, but I will tell you, there are ever growing numbers of people who distrust um, not just senior military officials, but also the government. I mean, I hate to say that, not, you know, I'm not here to, you know, we, we, you cannot read the document that we wrote and think that we are calling for a coup. We are It's not a political document or a partisan document. It's literally in line with the Constitution. However, I will tell you, there are many people out there that are distrustful of the government. If you are an honest person and, and, and you've been looking at what's going on for the last couple of years, you're going to distrust the government. I mean, that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Yeah. Are there people inside the military who distrust what they hear from the government? Of course. I was one of those individuals for probably the last... And if I served for 19 years, I would tell you I was somebody who was distrustful of the government narrative for, I don't know, 14 or 15 of those 19 years. You know, yeah, close to that. You know, I mean, just if you're a smart person who, who can see what's going on, you're not always going to believe the narrative that you're told. And so, I mean, even myself for for a long time, between about 2007 and, and 2022 when I got out. So, yeah, about 15 years of the 19 that I served, 
I realized that typically what we were being told by the government was just was just not was just not true. So and then you look at just the, but that is accelerated. The nonsense, the bullshit, if I can use that term that comes out of the government, you know, um, there's just no way around it. People are people are just, they're just not going to accept that. Right. So, yes, you have a lot of people who are conflicted because they're in uniform. They want to serve their country but they question if military service is the best way to serve their country. So they're, they're kind of getting pulled in two different directions. Like I'm trying to fulfill my obligation to the oath. I love my country, but I don't know that I can trust those who ostensibly are in, in the lead of the country or the, you know, or the, or the, or the military, you know, I, that was kind of a rambling answer to your question, but um, there are a lot of people that do not like what happened with this whole, you know, COVID phenomenon from the narrative that we were told in the beginning, to the way that the uh, shots were rolled out, you know, across society, but particularly in the military where you did have this mandate that was not only unlawful, but ultimately harmful. We know that it's harmful. The military, um, you know, the, the medical databases are, are showing that we've had huge upticks in certain health indication markers and people are coming, we've had whistleblowers come out and say, hey, listen, whatever it is, shots or not, but whatever it is, we are seeing, you know, these medical categories where we've got extremely sharp increases in, you know, these injuries or adverse effects of some sort. So maybe it's a shot, maybe it's not, but whatever it is, we need to look into it. And then we get just these, um, this obfuscation from, from DOD that basically amounts to, you know, hey, nothing to see here. So this, this grates at people. It grates at people when they watch their leaders lie, you know? Right. Yeah, and you know, uh, I think uh, Lieutenant uh, Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long was one of the ones who actually signed this, and she was one of the whistleblowers that came yes. out uh, about the vaccine originally. And you know, when we look at the vaccine and kind of what that did is maybe that was Pandora's box being opened up. I mean, I remember being in there, and I was fortunate. I had a red dog tag that exempt me from vaccines when I was in. Mm. Uh, and that's because I just have severe allergic reactions to vaccines. Sure, sure. Um, and but I remember everybody and their mother getting everything that they could put in their ass and put into their sure, arms. Sure, um, sure. And nobody ever questioned it, whether it was the anthrax or whatnot. Uh, but then COVID nineteen came around, and it all changed. Yeah. Now, what do you think was really the determining factor for that? Was that the the transition of the the media of the news moving more towards social media, people more getting the input of their daily news briefs from Twitter, from 124 character tweets, from Donald Trump, from from True Social, from Rumble? Do you think it was more of that, or was there something else happening? I, that's a that's a fantastic question, but you know, to, to address the social media aspect, you know, social media is a double edged sword, and it and it definitely is a social engineering tool. And you know, I'm sure the intelligence agencies are all over it. I'm sure they use it to kind of move people in a certain direction. That said, it can also be a helpful tool. So if you understand that they are going to use it to try and move the masses into another direction, so if you're always guarded, then yeah, there's a lot of information. I mean, a lot of people kind of get their news from, from you know, from Twitter. Maybe that's good, maybe that's bad. But in some ways, it is good. In some ways, you can pass information and links very, very quickly. I mean, you know, 
the metric that I mentioned earlier, that the one post that I put out nine days ago has been seen four million times, that is indicative of just how much steam this has caught. So, yeah, the the I would say the expeditious nature of the ability to pass information is good and bad, but it is a tool. It can be used good, uh, you know, for 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 good ways. The other thing that I would say is that, um, you know, we live in such an information degraded environment. So I spent 19 years in the military, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you know, you have a, uh, you have a security clearance, you know, sometimes you're in briefs or you receive sensitive information or whatever. Right. And you learn to kind of navigate that type of environment when you're overseas and you're, wor- you're working in secure environments and receiving, you know, certain levels of information. But I will tell you, I will tell you, there is no environment that is more information degraded than the one that we are living in right now back at home where where we are just hmm. saturated saturated and just you know inundated with disinformation misinformation you know competing narratives and so you know discernment is key and it's not it's not easy because um it's 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 something that kind of has to be learned i mean i think there's a spiritual aspect to it you know but there's also kind of a, a cognitive aspect that can be enhanced by that spiritual aspect and it's hard. And I, and I think a lot of people don't understand the degree to which this information environment is degraded. So so it's kind of understand, you know, me, just my own, the, the way I kind of personally go about this is I am skeptical about everything that I am told. And I, and I try to be very open minded when I hear something and I try to to wait and kind of see, all right, before I either accept or reject, I'm just going to kind of, you know, file this away and see what comes on later that either helps to confirm or deny, you know? Yeah, no, we, I, we actually have a motto here and it's never believe anything anybody tells you, no matter who they are or what authority they possess <laughs> or profess, unless you can prove it through your own research, investigation, inquiry, and through your own volition. And I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. And, and, and that came about because I, I started doing this and um, back in 2017, and there is so much information coming out from all levels and degrees. You go report something, and then the next thing you know, you're finding out that that information was highly inaccurate. And people, there was actual real effects happening to people because of the information that you reported on. Yeah. And so you have to take things with discernment. You have to use hypercritical analysis when you're looking at things. And that's when I really transitioned uh, the, the platform in this show to, to kind of look at the information from varying perspectives, from a, a past perspective, understanding the past and how that's unfolded, the current narrative that is in play and the future plans of what the, the, the deep state or the globalists or what they're all working towards. Sure. And, by looking at that, you can get a, a very good level of uh, 40,000 foot view to see how to put the pieces together, but you still have to speculate on it. You still have to be honest about speculating on it. And there's certain things that we know for sure. And there's certain things that we really don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, but, you know, with COVID-19, this was interesting because um, I, I got a personal story with this. So, mm-hmm. When COVID-19 happened, the they started talking about the vax. Military would be the first ones to get the vax. I immediately went out there and warned friends and family. I said, do yeah, not take this yeah, vax. Yeah. If you're military, do not take this vax. Please do not take this vax. My brother-in-law um, took the vax. So 34 years old, U.S. Air Force, E7, 
took the vax three times mm. um working out one day had a stroke mm. um goes down he's in hawaii and um he's basically done on his whole left side of his body wow um they were gonna fly him to uh to virginia for some treatment he has a heart attack on the way gets to virginia um, and they come out and say that he has a rare heart condition, pericarditis, myocarditis. Yeah. And, uh, dies on the table waiting for a new heart. Oh, I mean, it's horrendous. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. That is terrible. And you said 34 years old, 34. And I'm assuming, op you know, optimal health before oh, yeah. the shots. Yeah. 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 Optimal health. And, you know, had his whole life ahead of him and it was taken away and I'm, I, I'm positive 100% of what it was the cause of it, but nobody in the family, they're like, no, it was just a rare heart condition he had. You know, it's been in his family and all this garbage. And, um, mm. you know, I, I look at things like that and I wonder out how many other families have been affected like that. Sure, um, sure. You know, it just came out that Secretary Austin um, has cancer, diagnosed with prostate cancer. You know, triple vaxxed right there. And all of a sudden he's getting prostate cancer. Um, but with the vaccine, I, I called this out a few years ago. And I want to know your thoughts on this specifically. Mm -hmm. When we looked at the geopolitical situation that was occurring in the 2020-2021 time frame, um, we had Russia obviously making moves towards Ukraine, Eastern Europe. We had China making moves on Taiwan. Um 2021 comes about, Biden comes in, all of these things go into motion. And at the same time, we have members of the military being kicked out, members of the military leaving, our retention rates drop drastically, recruiting rates are at 50% of what they should be. And we said this back then that they're trying to weaken our military. And whether this is intentional or th this is some type of uh, psychological warfare or social engineering program done by an adversary, Either way, this is what this is doing in the long term is weakening our military. You're taking people in critical positions that have years, decades of experience on various different types of equipment, weapon platforms, systems as leaders that are now leaving and being moved out. And then what you have is the potential for a three-fronted war to explode globally within the next few years. At the time, it was Eastern Europe, Middle East, and Southeast Asia. Fast forward 2024, we have a military, which I would call in a very, very weak position with incredibly weak leadership. Mm -hmm. And then we have a three-fronted war actually unfolding globally, which could be exacerbated over the next year or two, depending on what happens with the November 2024 election. Sure. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I agree with everything you just said. So- wherever the decisions were made right and and regardless of how much how deliberate they were and, and, and I, I mean i do think they were deliberate i don't i don't think this is incompetency you know but but that aside right we do have a weakened military so we have a, a military that is now physically injured you know we have young otherwise healthy people that do have my, you know, some of them you know myocarditis in numbers that is higher than pre roll out of the shots and, and the same thing with cancers and other things, right? We have a force that is morally injured. So what's moral injury? Moral injury is where you as an individual act against your own moral code. 
This can be simple as you do something wrong, you feel guilty about it. That's a type of moral injury. So now, now take that and compound it. You know, think about if you were to do something quite egregious that you know is wrong and you wouldn't just feel guilty, but you would feel shame kind of against yourself, you know? Now look at it when you look, so amplify that to an organization. The military has a very clear culture and ethos. So then what happens when you're in the military and you, that has a very specific established set of virtues and values, what happens when the entire organization, particularly those at the top, act in direct opposition to the organization's own stated values? Well, that kind of you know disjuncture that you feel when you witness that happen, that is moral injury. And I will tell you, we have many people in the military right now that are both victims of moral injury and perpetrators of moral injury at the same time. What does that look like? That looks like the individual who was coerced and kind of backed into a corner in a way that he did not appreciate, but at the same time, did that also to others. That person is both a victim and a perpetrator of moral injury. I think now what's happening is those individuals are starting to feel the weight of that moral injury of both kind of what happened to them and what they did to others. And they are internally conflicted and they damn well should be. But my point is when you have people around you who can't trust their, their, their unit leadership, they can't trust the Pentagon leadership. And dare I say, they may even wonder whether or not they can trust themselves to make the next crucial decision of a moral type. That's a, that's a, that's a strategic risk. That's a strategic risk that we have right now. And I'm not even, and I'm not even addressing the other issues in our military yet. Like the wokeness, you know, look at what happened two years ago with the, um, you know, with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, et cetera, et cetera. So if you look at our document, our document has a very narrow focus. It is focused specifically on the unlawful nature of the implementation of the mandate. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't other problems in the military. There certainly are. But this is the one where it was clearly and unequivocally unlawful. And we're trying to you know pin that on them. So what are we trying to accomplish with it? Because we know we live in a complex world and we know that we are in a very, very bad situation. And we're not, you know, this is not some sort of extreme iconoclasm where we're trying to tear down the flag and tear down the constitution and tear down the military, nothing of the type. We're the ones actually trying to bolster those things up and get rid of the clowns that wear a costume every day and go to work in the Pentagon and pretend to be in charge. We're trying to get rid of those clowns so we can put people in who actually fulfill their oaths to the constitution. So what we want, here's why we want people to go sign. When you you got to energize the people. We live in a Republican form of government. Of government, What does that mean? When you live in a republic, yeah, you enjoy a lot of rights. What comes along with those rights? Well, in a republic, you also have a lot of responsibility. You got to be an informed, engaged, and active citizen. So what we want people to do is go sign the document, go share it with everybody else. What we're saying is the 231 of us who signed, we pledge to the American people that we are not going to go sit on the couch. You know, we are going to stand up and we are going to confront this nonviolently. There's nobody who can read that document and say we're calling for violence. We're not. We're very clear about what we're saying, very clear about what we're not saying. But what we're saying is there are people right now that I know that signed that document that are currently running for office. And of course, they have an entire platform they're going to run on. But one of the major pillars of that platform is fixing a broken DOD, you know, and one of the ways in which they're going to do that is we got to call for accountability. So when you read that document and it's only one page, You'll see in there that we we put these generals and admirals on notice because we tell them, hey, listen, you are under 
the authority of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And even if you just retired somebody like the, the previous chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, General Milley, it doesn't matter that you're retired. You are still under, as a retired military officer, you're still under the authority of the UCMJ and you can be recalled that there, there are mechanisms in place to, to recall even the retired individuals and have them stand court-martialed. So, you know, we're not looking to punish anybody without a trial. All we're saying is, hey, listen, crimes were committed. When crimes are committed, people have to be held accountable for the crimes that were committed. So all we're saying is a hey, constitution, laws, military regulations. Those were not followed. They should be followed. And we're just looking to kind of re-energize the, the mechanisms that already exist. Spot on, man. If Trump gets back in in November, January, next year, 2025, do you think he's going to call back uh, Mark Milley for the phone call that he had with his Chinese counterpart three days before the November 2020 election? I don't know. That's a great question, but I will tell you this. I will tell you this. And while our document is you know, it's, it's, it's apolitical and therefore it's nonpartisan, <laughs> but, but, but let's, let's set that aside because we are grounded specifically in just the constitution laws and military regulations, but this is 2024. And like you and I have both already said, one of the reasons this is just, this is going to be a pivotal year is because it's an election year. And this one just has the feel that this is just not any typical election year, whether it's because of you know, everything that happened with 2020 or, or, or just where we are in the world. And then, you know, kind of this inflection point within our own country, whatever it is, this is going to be a pivotal year. And one of the major reasons is because this is going to be a crucial election. I mean, everybody knows that. So we do believe that this document and we do believe that what we are clamoring for, yes, we anticipate that it will uh, influence discussions that are had, you know, kind of, because some of the central themes that I think that candidates are going to have to address is how are you going to fix the military? You know? So with that, and this kind of draws into a lot of the stuff that's previous and we don't have to go into this if you don't want to, but I, I see um, I, I'm one of those people that calls out bullshit mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people out there who, um, who, who go on to this, what I would call, kind of misleading psyop that Trump is still commander in chief and military is the only way that the military is actually going to intervene in some way, shape or form in our mm -hmm. government and save us all. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on this idea? Cause I mean, being someone that serves, I just, it, it's laughable in, in context. Uh, I mean, I've, I've never, I've never seen any evidence of it, you know? So agreed. So I get, I get that question and I'm not telling you, you know, Brad Miller's the most important guy out there, but, um, but, but no one has ever, contacted me that's like part of these supposed white hats to kind of tell me right. hey don't worry we we've got like don't worry i know how things look but you know we've got this um now are there good people in the military yeah, yeah but they don't wear stars they 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 do not wear stars you know and, and i'll give you i'll give you an example of this right so um i put out kind of a comical post on you know Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it these days um, about a day ago. But I do this every couple of months just because it, it kind of drives them a point. But uh, and if people want to find either the original post that I put out on X or just my X uh, in general, it's just my name, Brad Miller 1010, Brad Miller 1010. But I put out a I put out a question yesterday where I said, 
Can anybody give me the name of one currently serving general or admiral, one star to four star, active duty, that openly resisted the unlawful mandate and is still serving? So, you know, don't give me a name of somebody who's National Guard. Don't give me the name of somebody who, who retired. Give me the name of somebody who is still serving that openly resisted. Well, the bottom line is, is that I've asked this several times. I never get a name. So my point in saying that is, is I don't know the exact number of generals and admirals that are serving on active duty right now, but I know that the authorized number is about 600. So let's just take that. That's probably roughly accurate. So about 600, one to four star generals and admirals on active duty across the entire force, Army, Navy, Marine Corps, et cetera. Every single one of those, every single one of those went along with the unlawful mandate. Now, maybe they felt personally conflicted. Maybe they even made comments behind closed doors, but every single one of them went along with it. Otherwise, they wouldn't still be serving. So the ones who didn't or the ones who had heartburn either retired so that it was no longer their problem, and very, very few of them have spoken out since, um, or they were forced out. And, and, and I don't necessarily discount that possibility that some were forced out, but again, we haven't really heard from them. But the ones who are still serving, active duty, one to four star, admirals and generals, we're on the wrong side of this issue, and it's a pretty significant issue to be on the wrong side of. 100% agreed. Um, where do you see this going? Um, I, I look at 2024 as the year of fuck around and find out. Um, and I don't mean that in a, a violent uprising, but more in a, a revolutionary way. In the reigniting the ideals of the founding fathers of the Constitution, that a lot of that has happened over the last five years or six years since Trump re-entered office. Uh, more and more Americans, I find, are becoming um, highly educated upon the the, found, the, the the Constitution and the founding fathers and the writings, the Federalist Papers. Um, and I think that's a really, really good thing. But where do we see this going? What, what are your expectations for 2024? Are you running for office? I know you got a lot of friends running for office. What do you foresee in November? Thoughts? Yeah, fantastic question. Perhaps the most important question. So, so no, I'm not running for office. Uh, I do have friends who are who are running for office. I have friends who are signatories on this document that are dedicated, you know, not just to this, but this is very, very important to them. And these are people that, you know, if you want to use the Constitution as a benchmark, and that's a pretty important one when you're talking about people who are running for elected office, these are people who I would say have had to face uh, a significant test of constitutional loyalty, and they passed when the average service member, so we're not even talking about the average citizen, the average person who's already kind of in a special pool did not. And yet these individuals did, and some of them are running for office, you know? So you get, you know, take that for what it's worth, but that's at least a good sign. People are getting, you know, getting excited. Now, I'm one of these people that, you know, I I, um, I do not think this is going to be easy. There are kind of some simple fixes, but they're not easy fixes. Our, our systems have just grown so corrupt for so long that it is going to require a lot of energy, a lot of, a lot of fire, if you will. And again, I don't mean that in a, in a violent way at all, but I do mean it in kind of a heat and light kind of way, you know, like, I mean, we, yeah. we need to, we need to just like really, you know, fired up energy and people get excited. You know, you mentioned people are kind of starting to get educated. So here's kind of this weird paradox, right? Um, 
and it kind of goes goes in two different directions at once. So we got to be careful about it. But when they press on us with these narratives, but the narratives either fall apart, even if it takes a year or two in a lot of people's minds before they fall apart, but people kind of start to wake up, they get educated and in theory are less resistant for whatever nonsense comes, you know, later on. Mm -hmm. um, now, the flip side of that is even truth can be weaponized against us. And sometimes I do feel like they allow the truth to emerge because people gravitate to it. Now, I'm all in favor of truth coming out, but I think we got to be careful that they don't sometimes use that to corral us into a direction where they want us to go. Because, you know, whether you want to refer to the Hegelian dialectic or just them kind of using, you know, typical divide and conquer strategies or or strategies of tension, we got we always got to be careful when they try and corral us into two teams. You know what I'm saying? Right. So um, so that that is also something I think we need to be we need to be careful of. And then kind of the last comment that I would make on that is and it kind of goes back to that. Like you said, you know, be be skeptical of everything you hear, you know, be on guard and kind of wait until more corroborating evidence, you know, comes out in one in one direction or another. But getting you cannot. Here's what we know. You cannot trust what the so-called experts tell you, whether that's the mainstream media, whether that's your own doctor, you know, whether that's, you know, you send your kids to college and the, the professors you know, these overly educated professors, but what are they doing to indoctrinate your kids? You know, so um, we have to rely on other people that actually give us true information. And a lot of times we have to educate ourselves. So this is uh, this is kind of the situation that I think we're we're in right now. And to some degree, um, I think it's I mean, it's kind of good. I mean, I don't I don't like that we're in as bad a situation as we are, but those who um, are resourceful, and those who kind of have that attitude where, you know, they can go after it. These are the people that are going to survive. People who are going to figure things out on their own, you know, group together with others. These are the people that are going to come out okay in this thing. 100% agreed, man, and well said. Um, I I've talked about this a few times because it, it, I, I like looking at the history of the United States of America and how kind of the the foundation of our laws and our systems were implemented over time and there's this drastic change that happens 1864 1865 lincoln 13th and the 14th amendment becoming yeah. implemented you had the codification of the us code in 1874 um and then you have obviously things going downhill in the early 20th century um yep. but one of them specifically is that the creation of the lobby I think that this is one of the most dangerous things that was ever created within our republic. So what we have now is we have a bureaucracy that is dominated by foreign and private monies that have more power and say over the constituents that these elected representatives um, are actually supposed to represent. Do you think that, at least this is my thought, but what were your thoughts? Do you think that we need to remove the the bargaining system that is implemented within the DOD with the the big six DOD contractors out there, as well as the various different lobbies that are out there and, and maybe even getting rid of super PACs. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that drove a lot of this corruption and led to a lot of the honeypotting, the Epstein style events that occurred with our politicians and military leaders? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. And, um, uh... I will tell you with DOD, 
you know, you've got this crazy revolving door with the the senior officers. So whether between the uh, the generals and admirals, kind of the your your highest tier civilians, many of whom are retired officers themselves, kind of this this mm-hmm. senior executive service individuals, and then those that go and work for these um, these corporations where the lines are very blurred between these private companies, private corporations, and the government, and you have this revolving door. I mean, everybody's heard of the term, you know, the, the military industrial complex, but there's that stuff can be very, very, very dangerous. And, and I, and I will tell you, you know, you mentioned some of the history of our country over the last 150 years. Um, we as Americans need to realize that what we think our government is doing, you know, it's, it's often hidden in other groups other organizations that pretend to be privatized, et cetera, and they mask a lot of what's happening. And I think if there's, you know, one thing that we could do, and again, this is this is not going to be easy, but if there's one thing that we could do, it would be just forcing government transparency in order to get back to kind of the constitutional framework, because you got people, I mean, they're smart, they're evil, they're diabolical, but they are smart. And they look at it and they figure out, okay, how can we hide our activities yeah. in ways that appear to be not outside the constitutional or legal framework. And that is that is exceptionally dangerous because your average American is not necessarily aware of what these private corporations or what other special, special interest groups are either lobbying for or are either doing or are either, you know, funding in ways that can be kind of hidden from uh, from the public's view. Right. And I mean, just two months ago, we had uh, two brothels in Arlington that were busted up large, large brothels. I was stationed out in that area. I was stationed at the uh, military district, Washington, uh, right there in Washington, D.C. We were aware of them when we were down there. Mm. And uh, apparently from the initial reports of the taking out of these brothels is there there was high ranking military officials and politicians as client members on this on these lists. Obviously, none of that was ever released or reported, yep. right? Yeah. Um, yep. But then you have the Jeffrey Epstein aspect of things and these names being released. And we know that there are military members, military generals and admirals who were involved in that. Uh, China has been running honeypotting operations in this country. Russia has been doing it for 50 years, for goodness sake. Mm-hmm. And we know that a long line of them are compromised to a high degree. Um, I was when I was out in Washington, D.C., I was friends with a uh, former four star admiral Mm -hmm. uh, retired. Mm -hmm. And uh, he told me (laughs) he told me he started in JFK, ended in Reagan. And he Mm -hmm. told me all about all different types of stuff that nobody's ever heard and knew about. That's just shocking and it's mind blowing. Sure. That's the reality of the situation is that people, they get themselves in compromising situations and then they're forced to sell their soul out for something that they don't believe in or trust. And and it really leads to the situation that we have in our country right now where the the moral fabric of our country is being ripped apart and it's being ripped apart because we've allowed it to go on for so long. At the end of the day, I believe that this is our responsibility, that this is something I I've said this over and over that we have to bring the moral and ethical framework back into our household. We have to instill it into our children, into our family. And then we have to go to our neighbor, no matter who they are, what their political affiliation is, what the color of their skin is. And we got to say hello. And we got to start that communication there and bring that same fabric to the community. Because once you have that, now you can start taking back your local government. 
When you take your back your local governments, now you have that moral fragment, that fra- fabric that spreads out. You can take back the states, and the states make up the federal government. Sure. And so we true. can't fix Washington, D.C. and Washington, D.C. It starts right here in yep. our households, in our local communities. And we have a great audience that's been out there doing exactly that. They're going out there and they're, they're establishing, reestablishing communication with people. They're, they're, they're getting their children to understand how the world is and what's unfolding in the world and bringing back a, a lot of that moral foundation that we need in America. Um, and right now I think where we're at is we are uh, moving towards what I would call the precipice is that mm-hmm. I think that, more information, not only this Epstein stuff is coming out, I think there's a lot more information that's going to flow out from these points over the next few months that are going to lead to an inevitable Trump victory. Um, now, I could be completely wrong. I, I don't think I am. But with that being said, the more and more Trump leads, the more and more Trump is moving towards victory. CNN said today that Donald Trump is most likely going to be the winner of the 2024 election. This is CNN. Mm-hmm. How hard do you think they're going to push back? What extents and extremes do you think that they, the the deep state, the the globalists, will go to to stop that from happening? I mean, I think this is going to be a volatile year, um, and I, and I think that there are that when they want to push their agenda, I don't think there are many limitations as to what they are willing to do. Mm-hmm. You know. Agreed, man. And that's a scary, scary sight. It is. It is. I I know we were talking about it before the show is that uh, a lot of the buzzwords these days going on X and even being talked about on the mainstream media is the word civil war. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that people out there. People think of civil war. They think the North versus the South. They're thinking Republicans versus Democrats fighting in the streets. And it's going to be, if that ever did go that route, it's not going to happen like that. And right, right. One right. thing I've assured the people is that this is going to be a 10th Amendment state standing up for their individual sovereignty, pulling out of the federal charter and saying, look, federal government, you guys are out of control. We're not we're not organizing with this anymore. You guys need to stop. And then the states uniting amongst each other against that federal authority. And then the federal authority most likely being preemptive on that aspect, um, implementing martial law going towards those states. Um, that's how I would see that kind of unraveling if that ever did happen. Um, I hope to God that it doesn't. I hope to God that um, no violence comes about from any of this. I just don't see a situation where we move to November 2024 election where a shot's not fired, that Donald Trump doesn't have an attempted assassination attempt on his life. Uh, I don't see a point where they they will scorch this earth before they ever lose power. I think they understand that they can't lose power that they can't give it back to Donald Trump because they know that that is game over. Yeah, I I think, you know, hopefully it doesn't come to that, you know, but do I think that, um, do I think that they may want, you know, extreme violence or civil war? And do I think that a lot of the American public are uh, vulnerable to being whipped in a frenzy? Sadly, I, I, I think that they are. So how do you combat that? So where I think it goes back to kind of what we've said a couple of times, right? It goes back to be careful about everything that you hear and be careful about what they may be doing to try and push people into two sides. Now, again, I agree with you. It's not going to be a civil war of red versus blue, you know? And I agree. I think that there are going to be some states that are going to start to say, hey, you know what? You know, 
Tenth Amendment, we're going to retain all our rights, but we're going to do it to the point where we're going to say, hey, listen, we are going to actually, uh, you know, see you later, federal government. You know, we're, yeah. we're, ta- we're taking our taking our our our, uh, our rights that we delegated or taking, you know, what we delegated to uh, to the uh, to the federal government. You know, we're going to retain those. and We're going to going to head our own way. But um, but what I would like to see people do is is just realize that there are going to be things that may potentially happen this year that are going to be done to try and whip people into a frenzy. And the way that you kind of guard against that is by being cautious about where you allow yourself to be kind of, you know, pulled to or pushed to, et cetera. But I mean, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. And, you know, people could kind of see it during COVID because, I mean, think about the, the, I don't mean literally violent, but just like the violent arguments that people would have with their closest friends, their spouses, their families, you know, their parents or, or whomever about so-and-so cannot come over because they haven't taken the shots so they can't see the grandkids. Or they can't go here. They can't do that or whatever, you know? Um, and so you think about the division that was sown in between otherwise loving families just through that. Unfortunately, this, this stuff can happen if we're not all careful. <laughs> Agreed. Uh Guys, 2024 is here. We're heading into it. This is into the storm. The precipice is coming. Uh, we got to hold the military accountable. Brad, I love what you're doing. I urge everybody to go over to militaryaccountability.com. The links are right there. They're all in the chats. They're linked up in the description box. Go ahead and sign that petition. You don't need to be a veteran. You don't need to be military to sign it. Please right. sign that petition. Uh, you can also go on over to Brad Substack, bradmiller10.substack.com. Yep. Yep. And then you can find him on Twitter at bradmiller1010. Uh, go ahead and give him a follow. Brad, I appreciate you being here with me tonight, my friend. And Yeah, um, this is fun. This is good. Good, good conversation. So yeah. thanks so much for inviting me on. I really appreciated it. Absolutely, man. And you're welcome back anytime. And I All hope right. to have you back here soon. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Fantastic. Awesome. Guys, much love, respect. That's all we have for you tonight. Have a great night. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Good night. All right now. Try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon.